Hi there, and welcome to Happy Hour with Perry Kurtz. I'm going to be your gracious host. Every week, I will be interviewing personal friends of mine who are creative people. We're going to be talking to them about their past and what got them into their line of work now. What made them decide to follow this irregular, unusual path to make them the person they are now? And today, I've got a friend of mine. I can, I think I can call you a friend after five or six years. For sure. He has a jam session every Monday night at a place called the Park Bar on Burbank, in Burbank. And it gets some of the best musicians in the area. And number one is he is the best. He is there every night. He runs the jam. He plays guitar. And he has got a background of a million guitars and a million stories and has played with some of the best. And today we're going to be talking to him about his life and what got him to where he is now as the well-respected superstar musician. Please welcome Vince White. Woo! Okay, Marshmallow wanted to clap. Marshmallow's the cat, by the way. Yeah, this is my dude right here. He's seven years old. He's a Persian flame point. He's a little rock star. He's a movie star. He's my number one fan. He sits in my lap when I play guitar. <laughs> and he just wanted to get in the little webcast for a second. There he is. That's Marshmallow. So he saw the microphone. That's what it was. <laughs> so he's going to be running around and hanging out and stuff. Bye. Nice to meet you, Marshmallow. And shedding... Uh, Big old huge chunks wow. of fur everywhere. You should save that stuff. Make it into a rug. I could. Easily. I probably have enough by now. <laughs> well, we appreciate you taking the time to do this interview with us. Man. All right. So every Monday, Vince has a jam session. Been going on s over six years now, right? Mm -hmm. And he's there except for one time he got there late. Ooh. He had a previous gig because he's very important. And he plays with some major, major musicians. And he's got a lot of guitars. Is there one song you would like to open up the show with? Oh, my God. Okay, well. How about the new one? Should I start with that? Okay. Start with something new because, you know, this will be your audience. And this way, if you suck, only 30 people will know. All right. I'll play a little tiny bit of this song. Um, I have some people in my life that are going through dementia right now. And I wrote this song about them. And also, it's based on a story by a friend of mine, Joe R. Lansdale. He had a story called The Stars Are Falling. And so this kind of came to me in a dream. The stars are falling. The stars are falling. The stars are falling. And the night is fading from the sky. Stars are falling, the stars are falling, the stars are falling, and the light is fading from your eyes. Awesome, man. That's so cool. That's, That's the beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. And as you can see, he uses his fingers when he plays guitar. Look at that. See that? See how effortlessly it was? 
but he runs a jam, and the the quality of the musicians is amazing. I sit in every every week and get up and I do my crazy bullshit and make up songs. <laughs> we have a blast when you're there. We just go to town. He'll just start talking about everybody in the venue, and we'll just lay down a groove, and everybody goes ballistic. Yep, I always keep it simple. I go three chords, nobody gets lost. <laughs> keep and, it simple. And my preference is always to play with him because we go back so long, but. He has been playing for a long time. When did you actually, how old were you when you decided Uh, to play guitar? Well, I'm going to give you the whole background. Hopefully I can do it in a nutshell in a few minutes. Um, Supposedly when I was two years old, my parents said they used to take me to a bar and put me up on the table and I would dance to some song. I don't know what the song was, but they said I would dance and then the the bar patrons would throw money on the table. (laughs) Wow. So I was a little baby dancing around on a table. Coyote ugly style. Yeah. But I do not remember that. I do remember when I was three and a half, my dad would take his guitar out at night and he would play all these. You're going to want to eat that mic. Eat it. My dad would play all these really famous, uh, you know, old folk songs. I guess they're like public domain songs. Right. And at the age of three and a half, I would memorize all the lyrics the only reason I know that is because I heard a tape of it recently. My dad had an old uh, one of those old reel-to-reel recorders. Wow. And so he would just start playing these two-chord songs, which this might have influenced The Stars Are Falling. They're just E minor D chords. Oh, cinnamon, where you gonna run to? Oh, cinnamon, where you gonna run to? Oh, Cinnamon, where you gonna run to all on that day? And the other one. <laughs> what shall we do with the drunken sailor? Right. What shall we do with the drunken sailor? What shall we do with the drunken sailor early in the morning? That's an old one. That goes, that's that's a classic. One. That goes back to like late 30s. So I'm on the tape. I couldn't even sing. You know, I had the words down, but I'm like, uh, oh, cinnamon. Wait, you. I thought it was cinnamon. I'm like, oh, cinnamon. Oh, oh cinnamon. <laughs> and, then, uh, and then that, I got really into guitar, you know, just listening to my dad when I'm like an infant or a toddler or whatever. And, um, you know, he put away the guitar. He never played it again after I was about five or so. He put it in a closet. And... I noticed he started having some mental issues, which, you know, he was obsessed with work. He was an inventor. Um, He would be out in his garage for 12, you know, just 12 hours straight on the weekend. And I think if he kept playing the guitar, it would have saved his life. He would have still been here right now. Possibly, yeah. He passed away in a motorcycle accident when I was young. But um, so that's when I first got obsessed with guitar as a little kid. I, I heard those songs and I was like, that's beautiful two chord songs and so um so then then, you know as the years progress this is where things get a little wacky Uh, they put me in piano lessons when i'm around seven and i could not fucking stand piano lessons i hated my fucking teacher i hated the song (laughs) i had to learn you know the bach and beethoven and i just couldn't get into it i'm like why am i here what am i doing here so then they tried to get me into sports. I'll show you a picture. This is me at the age of seven. This is the most miserable looking kid you've ever seen holding a baseball bat. 
this is a kid who did not want to be there. <laughs> and so, so here I am, and I'm like, I sucked at sports. So I just got really obsessed with writing. I got obsessed with, uh, with fiction. I was reading a lot of Ray Bradbury, a lot of science fiction. Um, I got obsessed with film, screenwriting. Ever since I was seven, I was writing and making up plays and screenplays and things. And my dad built me a puppet stage, which was one of the most amazing things you've ever oh, seen. Oh, man. I had one of those. You had a puppet stage when I, you were a kid? I made it when I was you 10 years old. I wow. was in the puppetry. It's like one of those uh, rites of passage. You might have a treehouse when you're a kid. Yeah. <laughs> I had a puppet stage, and my dad just – he was in his garage for I don't know how long it took. We didn't have any money as a kid, so Santa, Santa supposedly brought me the puppet stage. He whatever. does that. Yeah, but he put like – Different rat background screens, oh. uh, these amazing purple curtains with glitter. And so me and my brother, I have a brother named Nick, younger brother. We were just doing puppet shows, making up our own thing. You know, I was putting little music in the background. I would uh, record some little piano things. And we started charging admission to the kids around the neighborhood. Wow. We, we started charging admission for the puppet shows. How old were you? Like eight or nine. So you were an entrepreneur. I was an eight. entrepreneur. I was business minded. I'm not so much business minded now. I wish I was. I wish I had more of a business sense. But anyways, <laughs> so we started charging admission, like you know, a couple buck, a buck or whatever. Um, my parents found out, and they made us go around the neighborhood, and pay back all the money uh. that we made. From the puppet shows and my little Super 8 movie shows. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, man. Here, here's the cool part of the story. One of the parents of one of those kids said, we enjoyed that. Why are we going to pay back the money? They should keep the money. And then my mom kind of woke up. She said, you know what? You're right. They should keep the money. <laughs> they worked hard on those puppet shows. Wow. So... So that's me, like, trying to, you know, work on ideas. And so you were sitting down there holding the puppets up like this? Oh, yeah. Of, yeah, I had one. I made it out of a, a old refrigerator box. Wow. And I put construction paper in the back, but I made all my puppets out of construction paper. So that helped you in your life as, like, becoming a comedian. You, you started working on ideas. Uh, I and enjoyed comedy. making people laugh. And it was right around eight or nine years yeah. old, too. We took, uh, we started, well, I started writing our own sketches, but we started with uh, Who's on First when I was about seven or seven or so. Yeah, we started with that. Who's on first? What's on second? I don't know. It's on third. <laughs> and we just went to town, and all the old, you know, all the grown-ups knew that sketch. Oh, everybody. That's yeah, the best one ever. So then I would just start watching The Muppet Show and taking little ideas from The Muppet Show and making up my own ideas. And um, and Super 8 movies, too. That was my big thing as a kid. I had a, the Super 8 camera. You know, I'm putting together these little claymation things. I'm putting together, uh, you know, soundtracks on piano. I didn't start playing guitar till I was around 16. So to get us there, I had to play trumpet um, from 10, wow. to 10 to 11. And I sort of liked trumpet. I was kind of into it. I was digging the trumpet. It, it's not like a... You know, something you can use as a songwriter or in, no. or in regular life, unless you're Chuck Mangione or something. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, I really got into that for a little bit. I definitely got away from sports. 
Like I said, I hated sports. I kind of like soccer. Um, my mom was really into uh, Neil Diamond and Barry Manilow, so that was my soundtrack as a little kid. I was hearing uh, Barry Manilow songs day and night, and I wasn't really into that. Um, it's way too mellow for you. Yeah, <laughs> way too mellow. So around – oh, and then um, in between that – that area I sort of got into a movie soundtrack so I would listen to uh and I would figure that out on piano and then I would take the old beat up guitar and then that was from a movie called Close Encounters yeah I don't know if we have the rights to those seven notes but as long as it's under 20 seconds we're good yeah well, that was my life story what being under 20 seconds no the uh Close Encounters, I Was the Alien. <laughs> there you go. They were very handsome aliens. Yes. I thought they looked good. They, you they, did a good job on thank that. Thank you. <laughs> so then I was, you know, I was really into Star Wars, you know. Um. So I would just start learning these little tiny snippets on trumpet, um, piano. I would take the old beat-up guitar and try to learn these little uh, TV show theme songs, uh, little tiny snippets. Um the first band that really turned me on to the blues, though, believe it or not, there was a band called the Jay Giles Band. <gasps> you remember those guys? They played Philadelphia, too. Everybody did. They were huge back in the day yeah. in Boston. So they had a huge hit when I was, I don't know, 12 or 13. It was called uh, Centerfold, Angel in a Centerfold. Mm -hmm. So I got really obsessed. I'm like, who are these guys? The singer's name is Peter Wolf. They're playing a bunch of uh, really cool upbeat songs and I wasn't really into rock at the time. I started listening to rock around 12 or 13. And so I just went out to whatever the little uh, tape store, record store, I think it was called Music Land. <laughs> I went and bought a whole bunch of Jake Isles tapes. And the first few were all straight up blues. So it was like John Lee Hooker, John Lee Hooker songs, those old blues songs. Serves you right to suffer, baby. Serves you right to be alone. Boom, boom, boom. Serves you right to suffer, baby. Serves you right to be alone. So I would try try to sing like all these old blues guys when I was 12 or 13. <laughs> I was trying to sing low. It's like, serves you right to suffer, baby. Serves you right to be alone. You're living in the good days, and all your good days is gone. But your voice was saying, serves you right to suffer. Serves you right to be alone. And then uh, I looked at the credits, and I'm like, uh, John Lee Hooker, Otis Rush, who is my all-time favorite blues guitar player ever. Um, uh, all these old guys, Albert Collins, James Cotton. So I started listening to blues when I was around 12 or 13. The band that got me into wanting to play motherfucking guitar and be a musician and get obsessed with it for the rest of my life for the last 30-something years is uh, Jimmy Page. Really? And Led Zeppelin. I never would have seen that. Well, I started listening to Led Zeppelin, and, and everybody knows, you know, whatever. You got, like, you hear all the songs that everybody knows. On the first record was a song called I Can't Quit You, Baby. Oh, that's blues. Totally. That's blues, and that was Otis Rush. He wrote that. Well, he didn't write it. Willie Dixon wrote it, but Otis had the first version of that song released. And so I'm just listening to that. I'm hearing that chord. And this is uh, Robert Plant's version. Well, 
can't quit you, baby. And then I was just like, whoa, what is that? So at the age of around 15, 16, I had to get a guitar because I heard that first Jimmy Page lick where it's like. Ooh, smooth. That was the Otis Rush lick. And I, I heard that first note, and I just got obsessed with blues guitar, just the bin and the vibrato. And that's what I've been trying to do ever since, like try to en encapsulate all the soul and the emotion that you can out of just one or two notes. Just like B.B. King, when I first saw, saw him back when I was in my mid or mid-teens, just that one note, you hear that and you go, That was his specialty, the stretch and the vibrato. Yeah, and then hitting the... <laughs> yeah. And then I stopped listening to whatever else. I, I was listening to whatever was huge on the radio at the time, so it was like hair bands. So you would hear, the hair bands would have, you know, every single note. You know, guys like, uh, there were a bunch of them back then, but it was just the guys that were just the shredders. That's not what I want to do. I want to play something that I can feel. If I if I start getting goosebumps and whatever I'm playing, I try to get to the point where I'm feeling something, then maybe other people will. Right. But then it doesn't matter to me because if I'm feeling it, that's all I care about. So like Santana, uh, Clapton, Stevie Ray, who I saw right before he passed away when I was around, uh, I guess, 19 or so. Oh, that's I saw, lucky. Yeah, I saw Stevie Ray right up front. All my friends were there, and they all left. Uh, Jeff Beck opened up the show for about half an hour. Uh, all my friends left, and most of the crowd left. <laughs> so I went right up front, and I watched Stevie Ray just kill it for three and a half hours. Well, actually, three hours, and then he brought Santana on for the last half hour. Damn. And this was in Oakland, Oakland Coliseum. Like that's around where 80. I saw Santana somewhere in Oakland, too, and I can't remember... I think Jeff Beck opened for him. Oh, my. Yeah, that might have been the same show, like Oakland uh, Coliseum or something. Something like that. Yeah. yeah. And it was just like that. That was the one thing that made me go, this is my fucking life. I don't have anything else to do. If I can play guitar and write, you know, write songs and, uh, you know, write music, you know, play with different singers. Um and then around the same time, I had a near-death experience, which, whoops, I don't mind talking about it, but it, it really opened my eyes. <laughs> Can I do that? Sure. Absolutely. Okay. Just don't, okay. die, don't die in the middle. No, I'm okay right now. We're still here. Everything's great. Yeah. So when I was 19, I had a, a white Camaro, which I loved. I was obsessed with that car. I used to take it out to, like, cruise strips. We would go out to, like, Modesto. Uh, all these different little cruise areas. Where were you living at that age? I was in the Bay Area. That's where I grew up. I forgot to mention that. I grew up in the Bay Area. All right. Northern I was, California. I was there for the 80s. This was probably in the late 80s. I'm surprised I didn't run into you. <laughs> we might have. So anyway, so I had this car, and, you know, I'm just hanging out with my friends. I was, I was a pretty bad fuck up, you know. I was maybe just out of high school. I graduated by like this much, like a, a fraction of a hair. Of a hair <laughs> of your chinny chin chin. Yeah, exactly. 
So, so we're out there, me and my buddies are just fucking around. I'm playing guitars during the day, and then at night we're just cruising strips, meeting girls, you know. Usually the girls are on the top of your list at the teens. That's pretty much all oh, you're thinking yeah. about. <laughs> you're thinking about the girls, so you're going, okay, what else is there? Well, for me, music was kind of secondary. So, so we're, we're doing that whole thing. We're doing the strip thing. We're doing Modesto. My car broke down in the middle of the night. And I pulled over, the transmission was out. So I left the car right there. I was like, I can't, I can't go anywhere. We're gonna hitch a ride or whatever. We hitched a ride back home. Uh, I came back the next day. I had a friend of mine look at it. He said, it's the transmission line. You gotta get like a patch for the transmission line. You gotta get uh, fluid. So I said, okay, cool, I'll do that. So I come back. I'm like, I'm on the side of the road. I'm in the dirt part. I'm way, way, way off the road. I didn't have a jack, but I just kind of like, you know, carved out like a little hole that I could go under the tire and go under the uh, transmission line, hook it up. I'm in the middle of hooking it up. I was, I was under the car for maybe 15 or 20 minutes. A driver swerved off the road, smashed the back of my Camaro. The entire car was demolished. It flipped around my head and missed my head by about a half an inch. And I'm standing there, I'm under, I'm looking around, I'm like, is this a joke, what just happened? My car completely smashed apart and demolished over my head and we saw the tire miss, one of the tires missed me by about, I don't know, a couple inches. Wow. So I kind of went on a different path after that. Yeah, that all. <laughs> I said, I said, uh, I said, I, I went into two different places. I said, how is that even possible? Am I still here? Am I in a different reality? Did I go somewhere else? Maybe I am still here and I have a greater purpose. You know, that was kind of my main thing. So, and then I just got really, you know, my dad died right after that. So I just got really obsessed with blues and I found all these father figures, older guys that were really into the blues. And so all through my twenties, it was just playing blues clubs playing the blues but at that point you decided you didn't want to be a car mechanic no not a car mechanic <laughs> and, and it made me decide i never want to be under a car again oh i've had a few near-death experiences but that was the one where you go okay that was literally a half an inch how did i make it through that or did i make it through that who knows well the one guy that died from the earthquake we had last week yeah he was working under his car when the earthquake hit. Oh, and, and the, the jack, jack fell? And the car fell and crushed him. Oh, shit. I didn't hear about that one. Yeah. That just came out a couple of days well, ago. Well, you know what's crazy? If I did have a jack, if I didn't carve that little hole under the car to get to the transmission You would have been crushed. Definitely crushed. If I had a jack, the car would have just fell on my head. Because you were lower than the vehicle. Yeah, that's good. Well, that's – see, this is called creativity. Yeah. The fact that you thought about doing something. You have a creative urge, and your desire is to create. When you were doing these puppet shows, you were creating. Mm -hmm. With your music and writing songs, you create. When you go out there and you're playing your leads, you are creating. People don't understand what it's like to play a lead guitar. Oh, to wow. To go out there. Yeah. And be and making it, it up on the spot. It's all improvised. You That's basically, right. you, you know what you're going to do. I mean... As far as guitar, you put in your 10,000 hours, your 20,000 hours, your 30,000 hours. You know, I spent um, all through my teens and, you know, 20s, I probably spent 
at certain points in my life, 12 hours a day, you know, just obsessing. And I had every single terrible job you can imagine through my teens and 20s. Such as? I hated every single job. (laughs) What were the three worst jobs? Oh, my God. I can give you that list right now. I would say, well, physical labor, I didn't mind that much, but it, but it was just all these warehouse jobs and moving boxes and, mm. you know, and I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to pay my way through college. So, so I'm like, okay, I'm going to do, I'm going to do start doing all these, you know, different gigs. I would say the number one worst for me, and I hate to say this in case anybody else is doing this right now. This is just me saying this telemarketing was the worst job I oh. ever had. <laughs> Amen. Oh, you know what I mean? I I did that for a few years and it was just like nothing nothing made me more depressed. I would come home and just play for 12 hours and get up the next day. To get over it. Yeah. Oh yeah. It. I would just keep going, man. I was like this is what I'm meant to do and I've been doing it full time for 15 years. But I had at least 20 years of the worst jobs you can imagine from the ages of um like 15 to 30 something like early 30s so you know delivery jobs delivering luggage from airports hauling out these big old and then the uh the passengers would be so pissed off you guys lost my luggage i didn't lose it i found it i brought it back to you (laughs) i brought your luggage back to you and then uh well the fast food jobs you know whatever there's a million jobs but i would put telemarketing on number top I yeah. hated it. Yeah, because it's always good to go home at the end of the day, and all you can hear is somebody saying something. You go, no, sir, I really can't do that to myself, but thank <laughs> you. Yeah, it's always uh, click. It was a click, click, yeah. click, 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 click. And then after a while, I would just start fucking around and just start making up goofy voices. I was just amusing myself. Hello, so, yeah. is your mother there? <laughs> yeah, I would do my impersonations and be like, you think you might need insurance for Christ's sake? I'll give you insurance. If you need insurance, I'm the one to give you insurance for crying out loud. <laughs> and just like, you know, just being goofy just for the hell of it because I knew I wasn't going to stay with that shit. <laughs> yep. And then, uh, oh, oh, and then I did payroll, which, you know, I can't knock payroll, but I just, I was not good in a cubby hole. I am not good when I'm captured. I need freedom. I need to be able to move my arms around. You so, don't like being boxed in. I don't like being boxed in, literally. So, you know, it took a long time. I mean, right for a while, I was making my major source of income from teaching music. And I have a lot of guitar students. I love teaching. I have so many great kids that I teach. I have uh, people of all ages. I have people that, you know, they'll, they'll be in their 70s and they're like, I want to start learning guitar. Yeah. And so I'm your dude. I can be there for, you know, the very first thing with somebody just trying to learn how to play one chord, how to put your finger on one fret. And, you know, music has healing power. So I've, I've taught people with serious illnesses, uh, you know, Alzheimer's. Uh, I had a student that had a stroke and he could barely move any of his fingers, but he would be so happy to be there for the lesson. So he would just say, okay, you know, just let's spend the hour on the E minor chord. And we would do that. Between the E minor and the G, I think they're the most overused chords. Exactly. Those are the two that you need. Yeah. Now, you have a great story 
about your first guitar, your mother's guitar. Oh, that's an amazing story. Okay, so I'm I'm like I gotta play I gotta play some kind of guitar, and my mom has this old beat up uh, nylon string guitar that she never touched, and so it's sitting in the closet. I take it out, all the strings. Explain now. A lot of people don't play guitar, so they don't know what you mean by nylon steel. You have oh yeah to yeah. I'm I'm getting to that. Okay. <laughs> so nylon string, it's like a classical guitar. And, you know, this is something my mom told me about recently. She said she wants to learn guitar again. And oh, that's cool. Yeah, wow. I'll, I'll be there. My mom's almost 80. I'll be there to, you know, show her the first couple chords. I was going to say, does she know anybody who could teach her? This guy. <laughs> oh, yeah, there you go. So uh, the give nylons. Her, give her a discount. Yeah, I'll give her the uh, the 100% off discount. <laughs> there you go. The homie discount. Yeah. So, so she has this guitar in the closet. And I'm, I've, oh, God, like 16, I don't know, mid-teens. And so I'm like, I'm going to do something with this guitar. I take it to the uh, little music shop down the street. Uh, I said, we need new strings. There's like two or three missing. Um, the guy gives me steel strings for a nylon string guitar. Now, for <laughs> those at home, nylon is very soft. Yeah. That's usually what you get on a beginner guitar because strings cut in your fingers. They're thicker. And they're softer, so they're less physically painful to your fingers when exactly. you play. So you start out with nylon strings. And once you build up these calluses, calluses on your fingertips, I don't know if you can see that, but I made a little crease in there. It stays there. Mm -hmm. So once you get used to playing nylon, then you move up. So he decided to take it in, and they said, well, we're going to give you steel strings. Yeah. And so the plot thickens. So I come home. <laughs> I go, oh, great, okay, I'll put these on. You got your bridge or whatever, you know, the uh, nylon string, it's set up differently, and everything looks different. So I'm like, okay, I'm doing my thing, I'm putting a few strings on. All of a sudden, this bad boy right here, called the bridge, snap, like it was almost like a firecracker. <laughs> Boom, gone. I just destroyed my mom's guitar. <laughs> Damn. And I'm freaking out. I was like, I didn't do anything wrong. I just put the strings on. Uh, I take it back to the shop. Oh, oh, that's a nylon string, and I gave you sh uh, steel strings. Oh, that was my bad, dude. Sorry, man. <laughs> Sorry, right. I didn't know that was a nylon string. <laughs> yes. See, Holy the guitars crap. are designed for the strength. Nylon strings don't pull. You yeah. have to tighten up as much to get a high note, but on steel strings, it's got to be really tight. You could pick up a guitar with steel strings, buy the strings, and it won't make any difference. Yeah. But you do that with a nylon, and the whole neck's going to flex on you. Unless you're Neil Young. Neil Young could actually take steel strings and rip them completely out. I saw him do it on... Really? Uh, I saw him do it on SNL. He had his... At the end of uh, Rockin' in the Free World, he took all his strings. He was pissed because he, he broke a couple, so he just went... <laughs> Wow. I don't know how much strength that takes. I don't know if I – I wouldn't want to do it, but <laughs> – It sounds like that would cut your hands up or something. That might. He didn't give a fuck. Like, Neil's an insane, amazing artist. I would say Neil Young is my favorite songwriter artist of all time just because he's completely – you know, he covers every genre. Um, he's kind of a – what do you call it? You know, he's just a guy that does everything. He's a great songwriter, great lyricist, uh, great entertainer. And a really bizarre electric guitar player. A lot of his stuff is just hitting that one note. I wanna live in a sin. 
you know what? I want, I want to live with a cinnamon girl. I could be happy the rest of my life with a cinnamon girl. And then he'll just do a whole solo with that one note. And that kind of stuff moves me. So I would, I would put Neil Young on my top of all-time influences, and then Tom Petty is a pretty close second. We have our Tom Petty tribute band. Of course. Yeah. How'd that show go? Oh, it's going great. Yeah. Um, I think we're the only Tom Petty tribute band possibly in the country with a female lead singer who Perry's going to talk about. Oh, yes. Their lead singer that is one of his many bands... Her name's Devin. She is the bartender at the Park Bar. She is a lovely, beautiful, very tall woman yeah. who sings, dances, and tends bar while she's singing and dancing. She'll, she'll be at the bar mixing drinks with the microphone like this and still singing. <laughs> and then she'll walk out with a plate of food and still singing because she's got the wire. And oh, she's, man. She's a giant. Marry yeah. me. And she jumps up into the air, and it's like, you're going to hit your head on the ceiling fan. And she sings great. And she has the highest kick in the world. Unbelievable. All she the way up to your head. I've, I've had a couple incidents. Well, I've almost been knocked out. Her uh, foot has missed my head by <sighs> a couple. Of, see, near-death experiences. There you yeah. go. There's a couple yeah. others. <laughs> and then I've seen her um, literally fall back and almost hit a, a steel railing, like missing by inches. So she's kind of a she's a beautiful soul, man. Devin is one of the most amazing human beings I've ever met in this world, and a, an amazing performer. Great singer, great writer. I wish yeah. she would write more. We've written yeah. a few songs together. Um, our CD, which is called Between the Grooves, is uh, Between all the Grooves. Yeah, it's all original songs. Is that available on iTunes? Or? It is. That one is everywhere. We have them at the gigs. Cool. That's a nice little plug right there. That way people can look up some music. Yeah. Uh, DevinRollinMusic.com, uh, VinceWhiteGuitar.com. Cool, cool. Okay, so, pee break? Yeah, absolutely. We're, we're probably about halfway through, right? Yeah, I'd say we're in about 30 minutes right now. Uh, Perry, While you're doing that, Perry can do some plugs on his own. And, yeah, uh, I, right. just... I have about... At least thirty minutes more crazy, oh, I, dude. No, you're, you're you're good. Yeah, this, this is the only Knowing time you you have another two hours. This is the only time I've told my near death experiences like for a live audience. That that shit is pretty fucking intense, right? Yeah. How did I make it out of that two inches. Crazy. But I how mean, did you feel once you got that story out? Did you feel a little relieved? It felt good. Yeah. I I, I don't feel um, weird about telling it, but for a long time I never told it no. because. It it made me both. That story made me, like, almost feel like a like a Jesus. I had like a Jesus Messiah complex. It made me feel like, what am I like a savior? <laughs> well, let's let's go to the bathroom real quick because that's good stuff. I want to record right. that as but, part but of. But it. it also made me really fucking depressed because I looked at life as like, all of a sudden I looked at how fragile life is. We're like yeah. we're like a half an inch from death all the time. <laughs> Crazy. Yeah, it'll happen. the whole yeah. thing we're gonna cut out me saying i gotta take a pee and all that yeah yeah, yeah. don't worry about that i'll get i'll get all that <laughs> taken care of back in the yeah. end
can always we can always record a new opening. No 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 that's fine, that's fine. Yeah. I I'm I'm not as a the main thing. I think yeah. it's I think it's going well. It's just got so many stories. It's great. I, I love it. It's a I mean we're yeah, we're taking a step back, we're letting it talk. And you know. Try we're just trying you know, we're at the halfway mark now, so right. meeting of the goddess. Well when he comes I back I wanna ask him what do you want to talk about now so we can just sit here and there you go, yeah, and do clean maybe and start to it. Yeah, you really need to come out on a Monday and see this because yeah, it's it's beyond the I see some of the pictures and stuff. It's gorgeous. Yeah, I'll uh, I'll, I'll definitely try and uh, get out there. And she's a big pot smoker. I, I give her the vaporizer while she's behind the bar, yeah. and she takes a hit. Or she'll come up to me. Oh God, son, I got a pipe. At the end, I want to go, and, and where do you see yourself in the next five years? Just go with what you were saying on the second half. He has stuff written down. Let's go with yeah. what he's been. I mean, obviously, I'm not saying I'm not saying don't talk about it because it's part of you being the host of this thing. You you do want to hear sort of what's like going on and stuff like that. But no, you're doing fine. You're doing a great job. We just need to figure out how to do this or approach this or how to how to market this or. segment i want to play uh maybe preacher man some of that one that's i think that might be my favorite song i've ever written preacher man yeah i'm I'm honestly really not concerned about uh anybody coming after us not that we're not friends with anybody you know (laughs) you could do the whole white catalog yeah i probably could um all right everybody ready almost almost let me grab some gum hand me that gum anybody want gum Do you like a gun? That's the most insane thing I've ever seen. I'm crazy, man. Well, you know what's funny about this gun, Mentos? Uh, My dentist recommended it to me. Really? He said this is the only kind of gum that actually helps your teeth. 
I've never had a cavity. Today's I'm show brought to you by Mentos. Yeah, by uh, I should hide that. Yeah, so yeah. <laughs> Alright, here we go. So right, now basically what do you want to talk about here? Oh yeah, okay, I have I have I one I want you to get into stories about the people who you play because that's really Yeah 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 it validates you. Okay, I have I have one really, really, really funny, interesting drug story about my, my uh, couple cocaine years. <laughs> and the the beauty of the story is my dealer was the one who got me to quit. Wow, my dealer, cool. my dealer is the guy that got me to quit. That's a great ending. And and I'm okay with this because I was only into drugs for like two years. I was in a coke and crank for about two years, and this guy got me to quit. Before we do that, can we do a little curry on that? Um, this is kind of for the game that everybody loves to create. Um, oh my god! <laughs> oh my god! Oh my god! Like what's happening in the film? And can, you know what I mean? Oh, oh, okay. I thought you were talking about politics. Yeah, anything. Politics, oh, movies, Okay, anything. can we do that toward the end? Yeah. Uh, because I, I wrote a song about what's going on in the world today. Really? I want to play maybe like two two songs. Do that you want to end on that one? Or do I you think so. That would be best. One? I think yeah. so. Okay, so we'll do the story, and then we'll do current events and scary sign-off. And then we'll, well, I wanted to talk about influences. With, yeah, yeah, yeah. Influences. And the guy meets plays with Buddy Guy, and the guy just plays like Okay, so we'll go. Can we do that? Um, How much time? We have like another. We, got, we have as much time minutes. as you want. Okay, we're, we're okay. good. I'll, we'll, we'll be here forever long. Okay. If you want us here to do. Okay, so I have I have a bunch of really sure. good stories about my influences and the guys. Uh, the guys that I played with. Yeah, we're about thirty minutes in right now. With, now you mentioned BB King. I'm not going to talk about this online, but when he had a club up in Universal Studios, a mm-hmm. friend of mine, a guy named Tommy Castro. Oh. That was the first guy I ever played with. I gotta tell that story. I jammed with him for years. Oh in shit! San Francisco. Okay. And he calls me up, and this is when he was the he was uh, the band leader for some TV show. Yeah. Oh, oh, I remember that. That was Louis. Uh, Louis, um, the the really gigantic guy, Louis Anderson. He was Louis Anderson's band leader. No, no. Oh, but he was Louis Anderson's band leader. Oh, I get a story. Okay, right, so okay. Then um, just lead us in. What band was that? All right. Well, let me just tell him the story about BB King. So he calls me. He says, "Bring your guitar up. I want you to sit in with me and BB King." We go up there, and him and BB are just sitting there like this. They got the wires going off stage, and he says, "All right, we got somebody else I want to bring up." And he pulls his chair or pulls another chair. He says, "Curry, bring your guitar up here." So I go around the side. Mm. I sit in between them, and I go, all right, give me something in A. So we start doing what I do. Mm. BB laughed so hard, <laughs> he almost dropped his guitar and slipped off. Oh, 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 my God, you're so funny. Here, here's how we can set this up. That, that's a good story. I like that. <laughs> At, ask me about my first time performing on stage. Okay. Oh, that's good. Let's yeah. go into that. All right, here we go. It's always good. Hey, everybody, we're back. Hey. I, Oh, 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 oh. Check, right. check the gate. <laughs> All right, here we go. Happy hour. Perry, you ready to take two? Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Happy Hour with Perry Kurtz. I'm still Perry Kurtz. Sorry. You can just put your hand over if you don't want to see me. <laughs> We're here with Vince White, an incredible musician I've known for years, and he's got some great stories, and we're going to continue on with those right now. Wow. 
Ask Boom. Him about his first time. So everybody has a first time in everything in their life, and that influences everything else you do in that vein. So he has a story about the first time he played live, and he's going to tell us about it right now. <laughs> All right. So this is a pretty crazy story. Uh, I'm about 20 years old. I have an ID, ID, and back in the olden days, this was around, I don't know, 89 or something, 90, you could actually scrape off a couple numbers and make it look like you're a little bit older. So I scraped off a number, and it it made it look like I was 21. <laughs> oh, shit. Wow. So, so I go to this club. This is my first time ever taking a guitar to a club. It was called JJ's Blues Club in San Jose. It was a really famous club on Stevens Creek. Uh, the host was this young gentleman named Tom Castro. That was his name back then. Now it's Tommy Castro. He was hosting a jam with the Boulevard Blues Band. And uh, so I'm just hanging out. I'm a little kid. I was, I was around 20, but I looked like I was 12. <laughs> And I'm just like a little nervous kid with my little guitar. I want to play. Can I play? Can I please play? And so finally, Tommy called me up. And there was another young gentleman named Chris Chris Kane, who is, you know, world famous now. But these are all Bay Area guys. So I come up. I'm like shaking like a leaf. This is my first time on stage. Here's me. Here's my guitar. Am I going to play a song? I don't know what. What am I going to do? And then... Once I looked around, everybody started clapping because I, I looked like I was a little tiny kid. They all started clapping. <laughs> so I got really cocky. I said, yeah, I'm going to sing, and I'm going to play, and these guys are my backup band. Fuck them. I don't know these guys. <laughs> so I started doing this thing. I'm like, okay, here we go. I've got the key to the highway. Bill out and bound to go I'm gonna leave here running oh, Walking's too slow Or whatever, you know, I, I messed up the lyrics And when I was on stage, I didn't know what I was doing Oh, you are nervous And all of a sudden, everybody started singing and like clapping And I'm like, okay, I'm gonna keep going I'm going back To the border where I'm barely known Because you haven't done nothing But drove a good man away from home And so I look at all these guys. There's uh, Tom Castro. I thought all these guys were like really old and ancient. <laughs> Tom, Tommy was, uh, Tom was probably like 35 that was his first thing. Like he started this jam at uh, JJ's and then I go, okay, let me do another one. You know, well, I'm toe down. I'm almost level with the ground and I probably suck big time, but everybody was going ballistic because when you see a young kid up there of course and then afterwards everybody came over and said you were great chris king came over he said hey keep doing what you're doing i love it and then i look like five years later those guys got really famous in the blues world which means uh the general public doesn't know who you are <laughs> <laughs> but in the blues world uh tommy castro moved to san francisco yep 
and uh, he started playing at the saloon, and he started to have a really huge career. Uh, Chris Kane is like a legend. They're both two of my all-time heroes. That's so cool. And they gave this little young kid, uh, you know, a shot. Wet behind the ears. Uh, there's this old phrase that Elvin Bishop used to say. He would go, um, "Green as a pool board and twice as square," <laughs> which means you don't know what you're doing. You're just like, I just want to be there in the middle. And then I was obsessed after that. I was like, I'm going to keep going. So you were playing at the Last Day Saloon? Um, I never played there. Um, I played uh, JJ's Blues Club, and uh, there was a place called Lost and Found Saloon. I started playing all the San Francisco clubs. Um, yeah, the Last Day Saloon was on Clement Street in yeah. the Richmond District, and that was well known for the people that played there. War played there. Tommy played there. Yeah. Uh, Everybody played, and it was right. That was next door to the comedy club. Oh wow! So I had access. So I was waiting. I would go in, and I said, "Can I sing with you?" And you go, <laughs> well, yeah. we're we're gonna do a jam before this is over. All right, yeah. Because he knows how to improvise. Um, but anyway, so that that was my first time on stage. Um, I was gonna tell you a quick story okay. about the gentleman that got me off drugs. Because I was a drug Please addict. Please do. I was actually really interested about yeah. that one. Yeah. He was going to do some drugs while we were waiting. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I was a hardcore uh, fan. I would say I was like a big fan of the white stuff for about two years. Milk. You like milk. Yeah, milk. Cake yeah, milk. icing. Milk, uh, flour. <laughs> um, what else? Uh? Yeah. I was like, uh, what do you call it? I was into it. That's all I can say. So um, from the ages of about 18 to 20, I had a friend named Rudy who has long since passed, and he was my dealer. He was the guy that had all this stuff. He never charged me a nickel because I was like this kid in his late teens with a guitar, and he was a guitar player. Uh. And we would just jam for 12 hours a night. Let's do 10 Neil Young songs. Okay. <laughs> Let's stretch each one of those songs out for an hour. <laughs> let's do let's do down by the river. For four you hours. take my hand and I'll take your hand. Together we can get away. And so, you know, the solos and we're just jamming and jamming and jamming like best friends. Um his wife was always there and she would just kind of sit there and watch us. This is cool. I guess they were both doing, you know, the uh, <laughs> the inventory. They were all doing what doing they the had. Doing inventory. Yeah. Good choice of words. Yeah. And I hate to say this. I will never say this to kids. I kind of use it constructively. I just played for 12 hours day and night, and it was like, let's just play these songs all night and day. But the the bad part of this story is that I'm bipolar, so the next day, after oh. every jam, I would be a zombie, and I would be so depressed, and I couldn't handle it. And then I would go back again, like, uh, the next weekend. All right, here we go. Down by the river. And, you know, we would just keep going. We're just like, jam, 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 jam. One day I came over, and I said, I think I was uh, 19 or 20, I said, I am done. Rudy. I can't do this anymore. <laughs> I get way too depressed. I can't handle it. I said, probably in about a week, 
I'm going to come over and start pounding on your door and saying, you know, I need another line or I need another toot or a bump or whatever. Don't let me in. Just make sure I never come back in. And he looks he looks me in the eyes. He goes, okay, it's a deal. Wow. Dang. You're done. And he was my dealer. My, I didn't pay for it. I don't know if I could call a dealer. I would say he was my buddy. It sounds like was, he was your buddy. Like he was my friend. buddy. He was my buddy that yeah, we used to jam your, with all night. still your supplier. Yeah. <laughs> and so you know what's coming next. Mm-hmm. About a week later. Let me in. Let me in, dude. Let's just jam. It's all good. I just want to hang out and jam. Nope, you're not coming in. No, let me just hang out and jam for a little bit. It's all good. It's all good. Maybe just one bump. Let me in. Right. (laughs) Nope, you're not coming back in. He held to his motherfucking word. He never let me back in. At the age of 20, I went clean and sober. That's That's crazy. crazy. Did Did you ever see him again? I saw him again about five years later, and his hair went completely white. Oh, yeah. And he was a taxi driver. <laughs> and, and then he passed away a few years after that. Of course. Wow. Well, it sounds like he was definitely in the friend category as far as I. That's a real friend. Really? When it really came down to it, the man was more concerned about you than he was about making money. He was because I couldn't handle the depression. Wow. That takes, a, that takes handle... a certain type of dude to do that now that yeah. I just, like, think about that. like. When, when I go to the park bar, you know, I'm not clean and sober. I can handle a few beers. Um, I cannot touch pot. Pot also makes me mental, and I turn into a zombie. <laughs> so I can't handle anything except for um, antidepressants and a, a few beers here and there. <laughs> you, got the, you got any extra Prozac on you? We yeah. Can <laughs> uh, now, my friend Vince here, who, as you know, is an amazing musician, you guys got to come to the park bar. On a Monday night. He starts at 9. I usually get up after 10. I do my stuff. We're going to end with a little bit. But I'm from Philadelphia. And he had mentioned that he started in San Francisco, the Bay Area, but wound up in Philly for a while. Now, getting from Philly to here, that's not easy. I'm sure you didn't walk. What motivated you or got your ass out here? Okay, well, first I'll say why I was in Philly. (laughs) I fell in love with a girl who moved to Philly. Um, God. Why did she move to Philly? Did she have family? She did. That's why. Her parents. So I was in my early 30s, and I said, okay, I guess I'm going to come over there with her. It'll be cool. Oh, my motherfucking God. (laughs) I don't want to offend anybody if there's, like, people from Philadelphia. I love Philadelphia. Go ahead. (laughs) Philadelphia gets picked on all the time. Oh, my God. They call it the the uh, city of brotherly love. That's not true. But they also call it the armpit of the country. But somebody, I forget who it was. Somebody died, some famous comedian, and on his tombstone it said, better here than Philadelphia. Wow. Okay, I will just say I loved my girlfriend at the time. <laughs> I did not like Philly. I was in one of the worst snowstorms of the oh, century. Oh, it's bad. Yeah, and I, I'm not going to talk about the people. I love the movie Rocky. I love Sylvester Stallone. I'm not going to say anything bad, but I really wanted to get back to California. So I had been working on this screenplay based on one of my heroes who I've loved since the age of 14 or 15, Ed of James, who I saw at a blues festival when I was in my teens. 
And I remember when I first saw her, she had a song. It was basically two chords and a few notes. Something told me it was over. And then I just heard that first part and I said, oh my God, she sings, she sang, she passed away a while ago with so much soul and power and conviction and passion and everything that came out of her voice gave me goosebumps as a little kid or as a teenager. So in my 20s, I started writing a screenplay about her life based on a book by uh, David Ritz called Rage to Survive. And I spent years working on this screenplay and I'm like, what am I going to do? I've been writing since I was a kid. Is there any way I can get this to the right people? Uh, I will not name the production company, but I sent it to a very, very famous um, company. And they said, yes. You know, I had the whole synopsis. and. So my question about that, though, is like you just sent it off via email? Or like I, did you sent, walk to the – like how did you do that? I sent the synopsis. Of it wasn't even written. You you it didn't was even send a treatment. You just sent them like it, a slug line. Like. It was actually finished. It was finished, and I just sent them like the whole synopsis, treatment, um, you know, outline. I sent them everything. Did you um like WGA it or did you? I did. Uh, yeah. I did all that. I wow. had visited LA um about a year previous or whatever, so I was working on it for so long and so many different drafts, and. They said, yeah, let's have a meeting. So I said, I'm coming back to L.A. We had a meeting. I made some money, enough money to live here for a little a little while. It wasn't like a big sale. Well, you sold the script. Yeah, just it was kind of like an advanced type of situation. Right. So was, cool. How yeah. long is a little while? It was enough to get me by for about six months. That's that's a good chunk. Of and change. I had a friend that lived here, and I said, "Okay, I'm going to do it." And my my girlfriend in Philly, we had broken up by that point. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> we got it was culture shock. I couldn't handle it. California, the I snow. love California. I love snow. L.A. When you go outside and you're you're not sure which pile of snow has your car under it. Exactly, I couldn't deal with it. I'm no. just like, I got to get the fuck out of here. I'm on a bridge, and my car is is like skidding around on snow and i missed a truck this is like another near-death experience i missed a truck by a couple inches i'm i'm floating around on a bridge i see cars like crash in the side of the bridge i'm like this is not my place i gotta get the fuck out of here that could be a punk song i gotta get the fuck out of here huh. i gotta get the fuck out of here huh. i gotta get the fuck out of here and I did. <laughs> so here I am in L.A. And then I just started meeting all these great musicians and singers. And I wanted to keep going on with the uh, the screenwriting thing. But um, it kind of folded and somebody else bought the rights. And, uh, well, the movie, there was a movie called Cadillac Record that starred Beyonce, which is who uh, my production company wanted for Etta James. And that movie got made and we got left in the dust. And no more money came, so I just started hustling the music thing. Do you still write? I do write a lot. I have a screenplay called The Secret Sidewalk that is my 
my big thing right now. I'm really focused on it. I'm talking to um, different directors and uh, producers. Um, it's a story kind of about my childhood. Uh, there was a young girl that got kidnapped in the Fremont area. She has never been found. I'm not going to mention her name. Mm -hmm. It's a really famous story. Um, and me and my friends who were all in our late teens tried to find her in this area called the Secret Sidewalk, which was on the side of uh, the hills in the Niles area, Niles Boulevard. Perry probably knows that area, Niles. I played in Fremont constantly. So there was an area um, where they had a sidewalk across the hills where they shot Charlie Chaplin movies way, 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 way back in the early 1900s. They shot all these movies. You know, they had the steady cams. They were rolling on the sidewalk. Right. Um, they had a production company in that area that they thought was going to be the new Hollywood because Charlie Chaplin was so behind it. And it was like uh, SNA Studios. SNA. Yeah. It was a really big deal back then. And so me and my friends thought the girl got kidnapped and taken to the secret sidewalk, which is um, kind of a Bermuda Triangle. So many kids went missing up there. They used to um, take drugs and go up in the hills. And never come down. Never come down. <laughs> so basically the whole screenplay is, in my opinion, Lord of the Rings meets Lord of the Flies. <laughs> it's about a bunch of kids that are on a mission to find the missing girl, which is like the ring in Lord of, of the Rings. And instead, they all turn on each other. That's and crazy. It, and it's a horror film. And it's, it's based on course. a real thing. It's based on a real thing. Um, I would say about 50% of it is true. I changed all the names to protect the guilty. Right. But um, we just basically went insane up in the hills for a couple of days trying to find this girl. And we never found her. But there's all this mythology about the secret sidewalk. There's uh, the myth about the white witch. Um, some hitchhiker that got picked up on the on the area on the Niles uh, Boulevard, and she got kidnapped and turned into the White Witch. There's the myth about the troll and all these uh, urban legends. That's about the that area. story's about me. The, I'm the troll. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's all urban mythology about the area where I grew up, and I have a few people that are really interested in it. So I'm just trying to put it out there. Secret sidewalk. But very, the original cool. producer, they uh, they said no, huh? Um, oh, the Edda James script? Yeah. No, they, they were in it, but they lost it. They lost the rights. They were wow. all the way in. It's so, unbelievable. I never, you know, I mean, eventually I think somebody here, especially here in L.A., I think somebody's eventually going to promise to help somebody with their career and then not do it. <laughs> uh. It happens. Well, I mean, the way it sounds, though, it, it sounds it sounds like everything was a go, and then yeah. there was either a scheduling conflict or a production issue where they weren't able to get it, Beyonce set up or oh, the Cadillac Records thing had here, already been. Here's my opinion. It was a big company. I think it was about money. Yeah. Like like getting the rights to everything, all the characters. Oh, yeah. And then what happened with Cadillac Records, they took the entire Chess Records artists which are all my influence they took mm -hmm. muddy waters Chubby and the rest of them and yeah chuck berry uh be, you know etta james uh and they just put everybody my movie was about one artist just etta etta james 
Right. And they took everybody. And to me, it was kind of disjointed. I enjoyed it because most people don't know the blues. They probably learned something like Little Walter. and. Mm-hmm. But um, it, it was very, very fucking heartbreaking. And I just kind of wanted to avoid anything with the film business i just focus on music for the next 15 years wow and now i'm getting back into it i finished a new screenplay yeah <laughs> yeah which is very very I, cool i'm back into it but um yeah going going back to the influences um everything on chess records everything from um etta james i'm, I'm really into lucinda williams i'm into uh Bonnie Raitt, you know, all the uh, great writers. I knew Bonnie Raitt very well for many years. Do you have anybody nowadays that you kind of dig music? I do. Wise? Okay, so talking about all those great female blues singers that I was obsessed with um, in my younger years, from uh, Etta James to Coco Taylor to Bonnie Raitt, Lucinda Williams, uh, Sue Foley, led me to want to work with female singers, which is what I primarily do even though now I'm singing a lot more. I've been really working on my vocals. But yeah. um, right now, I just want to mention some of the great singers that I'm working with. Uh, Devin Rowland. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody loves Devin. The girl with the highest kick. And uh, we put out our CD, Devin Rowland and Crazy Heart, Between the Grooves. Um, I've been working a lot with a, a great singer named Sayed Sabrina. We opened for B.B. King three times. Wow. And my best B.B. King memory is about a year before he passed away, he looked at me as he was getting off stage and said, pointed to my head and pointed to his head. And we looked back and forth and he was going like this. And we actually switched hats. Wow. He wore mine. I wore his hat. It felt like uh, handing over the crown or something. Jeez. <laughs> which, which to me felt even better than playing. I wish I could have played with him, you know, just to be up there and just... You know, his great vibrato, that one finger. Are there are there other big names kind of that you've had the pleasure of kind of working oh with? Oh, my like... God. Um, all of my heroes. Over the last – I'm so happy I'm in L.A. because over the last seven years, I've opened for uh, Jimmy Vaughn, Stevie Ray's brother, with Luann Barton, uh, Leon Russell a bunch of times, <sighs> Dr. John, who just passed away, and the he was fantabulous. Tripper. He was one of the most – significant greatest artist ever yeah <laughs> and uh anyway it was he was one of my heroes i hung out with him for a long time one night and he just told me so many stories oh yeah um johnny winter and edgar winter two albino men who just played blues like nobody's business right. especially johnny edgar played a bunch of stuff um and then uh i have a band called idle hands we opened for Pretty much all of our heroes, Ian Hunter from Mata Hoople. Um, wow. We opened for... I thought he was dead. No, he's still around. <laughs> a lot of the great artists are still with us. If you look at... Uh, wow, I can't even think of all the names. Pointer Sisters, Temptations. Uh, this is all through the Canyon Club and uh, Saban. And then uh, not too long ago, I have a country singer named Casey Lansdale. We opened for uh, Winona Judd. Um, Casey's dad is a really famous writer named Joe R. Lansdale, and he has a documentary coming out called All Hail the Popcorn King. It's about horror film and his writing and, you know, his contribution to horror films. So I'm going to be on the big screen. I'm so excited. 
I'm going to be so like cool. larger than life on the big screen. <laughs> That's so Great. cool. But uh, it was just me making a fool out of myself talking about my hero, Joe, um, Casey's dad. And then I also work with, um, you know, Sharon, Sharon Moore. Yeah. I work with uh, Bonnie Root, April Henry, um, Brittany Petty. Uh, Rachel Risner. Rachel Risner. All our friends. Super energy. Yeah. And so, and then uh, the guy who produced the Devin Rowland CD, his uh, stage name was VB Chung King. His real name was Alan Mary Katani. One of the oh, great I see the connection there. Yeah. One of the great legends. And he used to open for VB King. And then VB's, um, I think VB was the one who had uh, some input on the stage name, VB Chung King. Uh, the sad part is he passed away of a heart attack in the studio right after he finished our CD. Wow. But he used to hang out with us at the park bar every Monday and uh, such a sweet, mellow guy. You would never meet somebody more laid back in the studio. My favorite line from him, there were a couple sessions or solos where I played too many notes and uh, Alan go, he would look at the listen back, play about half that. <laughs> and I was like, I thought I killed it. And then some other solos where I thought I totally fucked it up, he would go, it's done, perfect. They always say less is more, and I've less heard that more. sometimes you better play less notes than oversaturate. Exactly. Yeah, so, well, you've, uh, you've definitely been around, and everybody I know that has seen you that has been there and has talked to me has raved about how well you run the show and how you play. And that's why if I'm going to do my improv blues, I prefer to do it with you because you're intuitive. You listen. Yeah. And a lot of guys don't know how to listen when they're playing. They're in their own thing. But you're in tune with everything that's going on around. And we like to get funky. Can Are you we, ready? Can we do a little funk yeah. here? All right, let's do this. You always let him go through one round. Yeah, we came here to do an interview. We're up in Glendale. It's getting late. I think it might be time to bail. I got Vince White. He's here playing the guitar. We drove up here, even though it seemed kind of far. He's every Monday night. You can see him at the park bar. Yeah. He runs a jam session. Best musicians in town. Come down there every night. That shit goes down. People be dancing and running and laughing. I'm up there and we're up there and the word's just passing. We get the blues and we're doing them here for you. Oh, oh, oh. Okay, you guys take one. Yeah, he's playing an acoustic guitar, but he plays it like it's electric. 
Yeah, he's got some stories, and he's kind of eclectic. <laughs> but he's got some stuff to go and always ready. That's right. That's what I just said. I know I'm getting heady. But I think it's time to wrap it up. We're going to take it on home. Oh, yeah. I want to thank Vince White for being here, my buddy. Yeah. Every Monday night at the Park Bar starts at 9, runs to 1, sometimes later. And, of course, I got Brian over here running the show. My name's Thanks, Curry guys. Kurtz. Hey, we really appreciate you taking the time to do the interview with us, man. That was and great. It was really nice, to, really nice to meet you. Uh, do you have any other plugs or anything you want to pop in? Uh, oh, yeah. Instagram, any other gigs? Let's, uh, YouTube. Let's just mention the websites, uh, VinceWhiteGuitar.com. Um, How'd you come up with that name? <laughs> it was tricky. That has all my links to all my other stuff, all my projects, all the gigs. Um, Devin Roland, music.com. I work with her a lot. And then um, you can find all our stuff on YouTube, Spotify. Everything is out there. I want to plug the movie I'm going to be in. All yeah, Hell, please. the Popcorn King, about my buddy Joe R. Lansdale, one of the greatest motherfucking writers in history. Watch and, for that. Uh, I want to plug the Secret Sidewalk, which is coming soon. Yeah, I would really love to. To I mean, obviously, you know, but like because again, you know, I write, so it, it's so interesting. I mean, I, I would. I mean, once that's all complete and everything, you know, I think that'd be really. Yeah, cool to the like script is finished. We're just working on the right people, investors. Uh, I have the lookbook. We're getting. We're actually talking to producers tomorrow, and we're really? talking to. Uh, Actually, we have a couple pretty big-name actors that are interested. Get out of town. Good. It's all about finding the right names and people, right. and I'm really proud of it. I'm not necessarily, you know, I'm more of a musician and songwriter and guitar player, but this script is one thing that just I was obsessed with all my life ever since I was, you know, my Well, considering teens. you went out of your way to go and search for her, yeah. Um, which, I mean, yeah, man, it just, uh, ah, man, crazy, like really when, when you – when you really get down to it and think about it, like you, yeah, you're, you, yeah, the drug, you, really, honestly, thank you so much Look, for taking the time to do this interview. Like it was. Thanks, man. I had a blast. And when you write songs, pleasure. you're writing stories, I so am. it's only it's natural. The same thing. So hopefully everybody enjoyed, uh, you know, the first episode of Happy Hour uh, with Perry Kurtz. And you uh, can find me at PerryFunny.com. Yeah, do a little plug there, Perry. And uh, I'm everybody. Just look up Perry Kurtz. I'm all over the internet. Remember, as Perry Kurtz, we want to thank you for watching, or if you're just hearing, just listening. Watch for more. Yeah, leave, Take a, care leave a review. Uh, share with a friend, an elderly neighbor, maybe your grandparents. Tell your friends um, about it. If there's somebody you really hate, force them to listen to this. <laughs> Right. Um, Otherwise, be careful. Take care of yourselves out there. Well, if you want to play us out, my guy, we'll do a little improv out tune. And uh, Oh, here we go. That's it. Can we do um, the song off the new Devin Rowland CD? He's tuning down for this. It's called Preacher Man. This is probably one of the best songs I've ever written. Is this about Sam Kennison? No, oh, it's, okay. it's dark. It's about um, a town hunting down a preacher. Oh, good. And this is on our CD. Again, guys, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, you can find us at Binge on This Channel on YouTube. You can check us out on Instagram, at Binge on This Channel. And uh, if you like what you're hearing, you can also check out This, That, and the Other. A variety podcast out every Monday, eating dinner at the lunch table. Well, it's the end of the show. 
and this is my end of the show song. Can we do like um a like a one minute clip of um of that song like just me singing just one minute of it? Yeah, let's go ahead and do it yeah, right now. When yeah, you're yeah. yeah, yeah. We'll just add it. All right. Might as well do it because the, 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 right. yeah, the three people that are watching. <laughs> All right, this one's called Preacher Man. We know where you've been and we know you lie. A preacher man, you better run. Your time has come and now your day is done. So get off your high horse, stand off your throne. Lord ain't gonna help you, now you're all alone. Gonna take you down, bring your body around. Your soul is going straight hell bound. Straight hell bound. Hang them up high, hang them up low. Put them down where the grass won't grow. Hang them up high, hang them up low. Pay the price when you're down below. Ah, ah, ah. 